Battle Line Podcast, episode 109. I am Ian Scotto, and here on Battle Line, we speak to different members of the special operations military community and other guys, but in this case, special operations military community. Luke Ryan, Army Ranger, you also know him from Black Rifle Coffee, second appearance on the show, and you guys are going to love it. Uh, just me here this episode. Chris was doing a speaking engagement in Las Vegas. He'll be back next week, of course, but don't go anywhere. We, we got a lot of great stuff here uh, on this show. Before we get into everything, you know what I was going to mention is um, if you guys checked out last episode with Frank Bellow, which I really enjoyed, um, the backstory behind the picture with him, some of you might be wondering because clearly the episode wasn't in studio, right? As you could tell from the audio, and uh, I had never met him prior, and we make no mention of that we'll meet up, so I think... I believe I stopped recording before this happened. Uh, after the episode, I said, great having you on, which it really was. And I said, maybe one day uh, we'll meet up or something. And he's like, hey, well, I have a book signing in uh, in the city tomorrow if you want to come out. And I'll be honest, I wasn't planning on going just because I had some other stuff going on. But like, if the man himself, Frank Bell from Anthrax, invites you out to a book signing, you got to go then. And I had a blast. I got to... Uh, I got to sing, which, what song was it? Because I'm just kind of going off the top of my head here. It was something off of the Sound of White Noise album. like, And I was one of the people who knew the words, and he did like a cool cover of it. You know what? Let me look it up right now for any of you who are uh, Anthrax fans, just so that I could remember which song it was. It was really cool. Oh, he did only from Sound of White Noise. Yeah. And uh, it was cool because he said... I don't usually get to do these songs because that's from the John Bush era and John Bush is no longer in the band, as many of you may know. So, uh, I, yeah, they don't really tend to perform those. And yeah, he looked at me a few times. He didn't know who I was at the time, but you know, because it's a crowd there. And, uh, he was like, you know, the words to this verse, this video of it online. And I was like, Nope, but I knew the words to, uh, some of it more than other people, but it was a blast. Um, once again, real honor having him on, please check out his book. And, uh, yeah, that's, I'm mentioning this because you probably may have seen the episode picture from YouTube because we are on YouTube, just the audio, uh, or you saw the Instagram highlight video with that photo. And that's what that's from. If you follow us on Instagram, uh, if you don't, please go follow us. It's, uh, at battle podcast on Instagram. We were really close to approaching 3000 followers, which I thought was pretty cool. And then I noticed all of a sudden we kind of stalled from there. And I think like the, uh, you know, the, the powers that be of Instagram have kind of uh, shut our visibility down. We, you know, I don't want to say shadow band. I really don't know, but the whole algorithm situation. And I think part of that is we had some like ads taken down for for Fort Scott Munitions, you know, because, oh, scary, there's a gun in, in the ads. And they're like, you, you know, you're selling illegal things. And it's like, no, we don't even sell guns. We advertise for a company that sells ammo which apparently that is a no-no. Um, so if you're not following us, let's let's get to that 3,000. Follow us at Battle Line Podcast. Uh, with that, I'm talking about guns. I'm talking about ammo. And uh, a great company actually within that field, if you're into training, if you really want to be the best shooter that you could be. And Jade Strzok spoke about this when we had her on the podcast, that you know it's all about not necessarily having the coolest gear, but putting that time in with the right equipment. And Pamax Tactical is going to help you do just that. 
Pamax Tactical is a USA manufacturer of firearms and firearm parts located in Central Florida and is law enforcement owned and operated. Their main products include billet machined AR-15 and BRN-180 platform-based firearms, performance parts including X-Slick bolt carrier groups, the Hades hybrid muzzle device, and many more. Pamax Tactical brings a brand new product to the market called the Lion Device, which is civilian purchasable. Now what this is, better than flashbangs, this is a hand-thrown diversionary blank fire device for training and breaching operations. The Lion Device is impact actuated, which means the device will detonate on impact and utilizes blank cartridges to provide an audible output of up to 196 decibels. The Lion device has several configurations, making it ideal for police and military breaching operations while significantly reducing department liability and the hassles associated with actual traditional breaching methods. The device is also ideal for use in home defense, hiking, and camping, inducing stress for range drills, which is great. Chris uses these on his Battleline Tactical courses, and uh, if you're going to that next one in November, chances are you'll get a chance to check out the Lion device. Um, Fourth of July, or simply to piss off your in-laws on Thanksgiving. So all Pamax Tactical products are proudly made in the USA, which is huge for this audience, I know. Pamax Tactical offers wholesale customized options for their firearms utilizing precision CNC machining throughout their product lines. If you are looking for some excellent gift ideas for the upcoming Christmas and holiday season, you can check them out at pmtactical.com and use the promo code TONTO, all lowercase, for 10% off your entire order. And uh, spell it right, guys, T-A-N-T-O. So promo code TONTO at pmtactical.com. Give these things a look. You're really, if you're into shooting and training, you can't go wrong. So check them out. And of course, this episode is sponsored by Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. Go to fortscottmunitions.com, fortscottmunitions.com, and click on the dealer locator. You can enter your zip code, uh, enter your town, and you're going to find somewhere right by you that sells Fort Scott Munitions. For me here on Long Island, it's South Shore Sportsman and Merrick. Uh, if you're in a gun-friendlier state, you're probably going to find a ton of places near you because they're the best ammo on the market. Now, if you keep up with their deals, they they every now and again will sell bulk ammo on the site, and you'll be able to get 15% off using our promo code, which ends up being close to $100 off, sometimes more than $100 off. So it's a great discount, and uh, they have great merchandise, which you'll get that same discount from us. When you enter the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE at checkout, that's sportscottmunitions.com, promo code BATTLELINE, 
only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter. Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline podcast. Guys, if you haven't checked out our great sponsors, I really urge you to. They're who keep us going. They're the reason we do this show completely free. And, uh, you know, we don't look for donations or anything like that. So if you want to really support the show, go out and support our sponsors, and you will not be disappointed by any of the great products that they're putting out there. They really are the best, and that's why we rep them. With that, let's get right to the show. Luke Ryan, Army Ranger, and Coffee or Die Magazine Black Rifle Coffee. Let's go. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battleline Podcast. Luke Ryan here, uh, Army Ranger, Associate Editor of Coffee or Die Magazine and Social Media Manager for Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, I realized the last time we had you on was like 100 episodes ago at this point. It was <laughs> just about episode 17, and now yeah. we're episode 109. Yeah. And I was actually just thinking back to that day while you were still living in New York, and it was a weird time period because oh, yeah. I remember being like, What's going on with this COVID thing? And then yeah. probably like a week later, everything changed. Oh yeah. We were we were in New York City, you know, uh shooting that that episode and um or recording that episode and it was you could feel the kind of the walls starting to close in a little bit. The world was starting to like become aware of something going on. People were talking about it, things weren't starting to shut down yet, but they were about to be. Um and yeah, so and it was all starting, you know, the New York City w- was kind of um if i remember right that was one of the first places where it really started popping up in the u.s new york and and long island where i am yeah kind of goes into the whole cuomo nursing home thing because there's a lot of those here on long island yeah Um, yeah. but then the crazy thing is when i was thinking back you pretty much got out of new york like right at that time and moved to texas with no like a lot of people did move from new york to texas because of this you were planning on going because of Black Rifle so, Coffee. It all just kind of worked out. Sort of. Yeah, we actually weren't able to move then. We had to wait because of everything. We had to wait. Uh, we couldn't really, like, we couldn't get a rental truck, you know. Like, we couldn't get all the stuff we needed. Going across the country and through hotels just sounded like a pain in the ass. Uh, flying down there, a lot of the flights were shut down right at, right when 
So it, when they actually, right after we recorded that episode, I flew down to uh, Texas to find a house for us. Um, and that was when all the, that was when a lot of things really started shutting down. And I was like, man, if I don't get back home, I'm not going to be able to like, it's going to be a giant pain in the ass to get back. Um, so I flew back up to New York early and, uh, and it was just kind of, you know, from there. And it wasn't, that was in like January, right? January, February. And it wasn't, we didn't actually wind up moving until November. I, I think it'll probably be March is when everything really to like, March was when you started to see the mandates, like mid-March, because I even remember my last workout at a gym was, mm-hmm. you know, bef- before everything opened back up, was right. March 16th. I remember 316, like, oh, yeah. 316. <laughs> and I remember I had a great workout because I was yeah. like, I don't know when this is going to open back up again. Yeah. And yeah, that was March 16th of 2020. Mm-hmm. So probably yeah. March-ish. And then, yeah, so that's, that actually was a pretty long wait for you. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't wind up. I didn't wind up, uh, we didn't wind up moving until November. I'm guessing though, at, when November was around and things were changing state to state, I would assume you were like, all right, I'm glad to be going to Texas. Oh yeah. I was so ready because I'd already, so with my job, I had gotten the job and I was working there for quite a while. And it was like, Hey, you know, consider coming down here, you know, we'll, we'll kind of reevaluate everything after six months to a year, you know, once you were working remotely. And so you know, after I was like more on the year end. So I had already been working remotely in my little half underground New York apartment uh, for a while. And then the pandemic hit. So I was there for basically another year. And I was like, ready to go. You know, we have three animals, a dog and two cats. So like ready to have like a real, I mean, the the houses here, of course, I mean, are so much bigger than in New York (laughs) um, for what you can afford. But although people should know, you know, you're also specifically talking about a little bit further upstate New York. I I feel like especially when I talk to Chris, who's not here because he's, you know, in Vegas. But like I tell him where I am on Long Island and he thinks I'm in like midtown Manhattan. Right. Like, no, dude, it's a very different world. Even right now. Like, for example, I went to Queens last night to get pastries. Mm -hmm. uh, This like cool little like Korean pastry uh, dessert place. Yeah. And it's like they you show the Vax card, all that stuff. Long Island, none of that long. And I've been all over the country since. And like Long Island is no different than where you are right yeah, now. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Where we were at was pretty locked down, uh, you know, for the most part. I was mainly just worried about like the logistics of moving was the hard part, like getting a truck, getting hotels, like doing all of the, you know, worrying about whatever the different mandates or lockdowns were per state as we're driving through. I was, it was just kind of like, eh. So we we kept kept on it till about November, and then we were just like, all right, we we got to go, we're gonna bounce. Um, so then we came down here, and it's great. I love it here. Um, yeah, and the the thing with you that the audience might not know, or they might know a little bit of, if they listen to our last episode, or even have like read your work, like about yourself, because you've written some things about your life. The fact is, I think for you, moving is not as dramatic as it as it's it's been for me, possibly because. Not only did you serve overseas, you grew up in Thailand, you've lived in New York, now you're living in Texas. Like you've kind of been all over. Yeah, I've lived in uh well, the United States. I lived in Pakistan for about just under 10 years. I lived in Thailand for about five years. And then uh I've since I like have lived in the US, I've lived in Arkansas, uh like on the Georgia, Alabama state line. Um you know, Florida, California, New York, and now Texas. And then if you include like, a, I had a, a month 
in Lander, Wyoming, and then two months in uh, um, Grants Pass, Oregon. So I've lived kind of all over the place. Moving is definitely not, not, not a big, super big deal. Giant pain in the ass, but not a super big deal. Um, you know, and so yeah, it was, it, I, was, it was good. I mean, I think it's incredible. And so we'll, we'll get into like more things with substance, of course, but like, I don't know if you know this, I was heavily, heavily contemplating moving to Florida. Like, and I did all the work that I needed to do. And I literally packed my car and headed out there. Yeah. And I ended up turning around at a certain point. And it was just the whole idea of like missing family, friends. And like, I felt ridiculous for bailing on it. But now that this cold weather is creeping back, <laughs> like yeah. I, I may have made the wrong decision. <laughs> and I, I think I honestly may go for it. Yeah. But I don't know if for you that's like a dramatic thing. I think it's just because I've always lived very close to my parents, very mm-hmm. close by. Um, and now I'm here because of basically having to leave my apartment around the time of COVID when it got sold. Um, and now I'm just trying to figure things out. But I think it's like friends, family, but more and more people are moving. Um, I think I make a bigger deal of it in my head than I probably should. And for you, it seems like you just go off and, and do what you have to do. I just I feel like I would sever ties with friends and stuff like that. And I, I, it's, it's important to me that I don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I get hyper focused on where I'm going, you know, so when I get really excited about where I'm going, what I'm going to do there, you know, like just the whole adventure aspect to it is very appealing to me. Um, also, I mean, I, you know, I'm super close to my parents, you know, like relationship wise, but you know, they live, they still live in Thailand. They've lived there for the last 20 years. So, you know, I see them once or twice a year if I can. Um, they come back here once a year and if I can make it over there, which I haven't for a while, but then I'll see them there, obviously. Um, you know, so I, I, like I moved up to New York to be close to my girlfriend and then her like close family kind of moved away while we were there slowly. And like a lot of her old friends were like going to college and different places and stuff. So, you know, it, by the end of it, it was just me and her. So that was pretty, pretty easy. Um, you know, I mean, of course we have friends and, and, um, and stuff like that, but as far as like, just really kind of that tight knit community, it was just, you know, we were ready to, ready to bounce. Um, it was similar when I was, you know, in some of the other places, um, figuring out where to go. I moved to California to be closer to my like army friends, you know, so two of the fight I got out and we moved to California and lived there for a year or so uh, in San Francisco. So like, you know, that is, that's been like a really, um, sometimes I am moving to be closer to people. If that makes sense. <laughs> you know, like if your parents moved to Florida, that would be an easier decision. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I do love it there though. Yeah. And and I, I, you may see me make, you know, re- redo this decision and, and actually, yeah. but anyway, how is uh, working for black rifle coffee in Texas and now like being closer to those guys? Great. Oh, I love it. My job's so much easier. There's a lot of it that can be done remotely, but you know, we're growing so fast. There's so much of my job is way easier in person, uh, be it, on the bureaucratic organization business side or, you know, the media production content side, like that's kind of what I'm heavily involved in being that I run the social media channels. Um, so that's a whole, like, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces and there are a lot of issues that can be resolved in a heartbeat. If I can just have a conversation with somebody versus like trying to play phone tag or, or do this whole, like, you know, so many people now are conditioned to work remotely and it's uh, I, in general, like there's a lot of 
good things to that. Like if you, you know, if your mom comes into town, it's not a big deal if you spend the day and work from home, you know, like uh, people are used to that now, they're conditioned to that. But really a lot of my job is easier in person. Um, so, uh, you know, and as we expand and grow, some things are really necessary to be there in person for. So it's, it's, it's been great. I really, really enjoy that human aspect going from my half underground cave apartment <laughs> to, to this, you know, pretty, you know, this nice house and a, you know, like uh, open air and interacting with a bunch of people for, you know, whether it's just daily work or like going out after work or whatever. It's just, it's cool, man. It's, it's a rediscovery that everybody's kind of going through, I think to some degree, whether or not they lock themselves down a lot or not, the, the whole world kind of was a little bit, you know, like on, or not a little bit, a lot on lockdown. So, you know, as that is kind of emerging again, it's, it's a rediscovery that everybody's kind of going through. So that's been super cool, especially since I was working remotely before that already. So, uh, it's, it's, it's a nice change of pace. <laughs> yeah. And, and the company really is growing. I, yeah. I thought it was kind of funny. I don't know if you noticed, like, I'm not, I'm not going to call out by name, but like we have, <laughs> we have mutual friends who I saw like were posting on Twitter that were saying, uh, and like people have been on the show, right. Who were like, yeah. I heard they're changing the name. I heard the company's going over uh, under. And it's, to me, it's kind of weird. Cause I'm like, you know, Luke and Marty, why don't you just like reach out to them yeah. and ask them what's going on? Because it seems like it's the opposite. The company is going public and you have like really big things in the works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, going, going public was huge. Uh, you know, I, for my my job, I mean, so is a lot about the voice of the company, the 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 tone, you know, the content that we push out there, um, and that is in communicating, you know, like obvi- the, the obvious things, like what we're selling and stuff like that, but in a way that's entertaining, and engaging, and, and fun, or maybe you know, in, inspirational. Like we do a lot of kind of inspirational content too, and and all that stuff is like not changing. I mean, you know there are a lot of people whose jobs are, are changed by, you know, something like going public, you know, like our financial people, they're like, I don't even know the intricacies of that stuff, but you know, I'm sure that there are a ton of things that they're like working through. I I know they are, but as far as like, you know, getting behind a camera and shooting some stuff like that doesn't, that doesn't change. And, And then the content, you know, we're being very intentional about making sure that the content stays the same for, you know, for a lot of reasons, cause it communicates, you know, who we are to people out there a lot more accurately. And we need to make sure that that's retained in order to be successful. I mean, a lot of people are saying like, well, you know, you're going to sell out as if like that's this sell your soul to be successful type sort of, you know, navigation that you're doing. But, you know, we're already on a track, you know, finding success with what we're doing. People are resonating with it from a content perspective and obviously a coffee perspective. And, so just do more of it. I mean, it, it literally makes the most sense. I mean, it's just, it, it would be silly for us to, to shift in, in any way from that. Um, so, but we want to do more. I mean, we want to open up a bunch more stores around the country and we, we're doing that. Um, we want to hire like a shit ton more veterans, you know, as often as we can uh, and just keep, keep climbing that towards those, you know, larger objectives of pulling a bunch of veterans, trying to give back to the veteran community and, and do all that stuff. That's kind of the heart of the, part of the mission of what everyone's doing. When am I going to like actually be able to go on my Robin hood account and buy black rifle coffee stock? Cause I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how much I can talk about all that, <laughs> but, <Okay. laughs> but, um, 
you know, and what I know anyway is pretty tangential because I'm not like a financial guru or anything. I'm a, I'm a artsy writer guy. (laughs) So, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, as time goes on, you know, things will, you know, thing there's, it's just the nature of the deal. I think that we're doing takes, takes time. So that's cool. So, you know, what I was wondering is, did, you know, the company or yourself or did you do anything for Veterans Day? I mean, because this is obviously a big week for you personally as a veteran for the company, what what they're all about. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we celebrated it, of course, on this show. Uh, and it's it's a major day. And and it's two years of the podcast because we yeah. worked on Veterans Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> good, good, year, good day for it. Um, yeah, so we, we always have got, like different things going on, you know, like, uh, right now it's the buy a bag, give a bag program. So every, every bag of coffee you buy gets, you know, we donate a bag to deployed service members or first responders, you know, like cops, firefighters, stuff like that. Um, you know, deployed service members that, you know, the, the, we've pulled out of Afghanistan, but that doesn't mean that dudes aren't out there in harm's way in other places. And I mean, like we get it, you know, coffee is not gonna like, change people's lives and stuff and you know but it, it, sometimes it's the little things make it make a big difference oh yeah and that's the stuff that i really like i'm super into you know like trying to figure out how we can give back and you know um no there's a lot of companies do i mean like yeah. they're not a sponsor of this particular episode but like a sponsor of the show is hero soap company and they do mm-hmm. the same like they send yeah. soap to guys who are deployed and um yeah it's, yeah, it's just a nice feeling for guys. A lot of companies do it and a lot of companies don't. And you just like, it doesn't matter. I mean, people look at us and they generally think of like the irreverent humor, kind of like some of the like ridiculous, stupid videos we put out or like, you know, just these funny kind of social media tidbits. Um, but at the end of the day, it just, in my mind, it's like, like who puts their money where their mouth is, right? Like yeah. this, the you know, the company you're referring to, I mean, there, there's, these are people who are like, Hey, we, they don't have to do that. Right. Um, they, but they do just because it's, it's, it's good and it benefits the community. And that's, that's awesome. And not everybody does that. So. Yeah. No, Bub's Naturals, like they donate on all their stuff to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. And then on Veterans Day, they donated all profits to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode. Uh, I didn't really plan it this way, but uh, this makes for a perfect transition to talk about Bub's Naturals. And yes, Bub's Naturals indeed donated all of their money to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation for Veterans Day, because that's just what they do. They're a company that gives back. I love all of their stuff. And one of their great products is really their newest product, which is the apple cider vinegar with the mother gummies. And I don't think we talk enough about what really uh, is the purpose for apple cider vinegar. We got into it a little bit when Sean was on on that episode, Sean Lake. But apple cider vinegar has a ton of great benefits with the mother, of course, and that's giving the body a good dose of enzymes, increasing potassium intake, supporting a healthy immune system, helping with weight control, promoting pH balance in the body, aiding with healthy digestion. It, it removes some of the sludge toxins in the body. I could really go on. It's helping people with uh, with their skin as well, much like the collagen, um, acne and that type of thing. And and also, I am a, I am a strong believer in natural detox for the body. Uh, you'll, you'll read a lot of conflicting opinions online about that type of stuff, but until you've used some of these cleansing products and quite honestly, like see what comes out of you and also how your energy levels are, you, you really have to experience it for yourself. There's a lot of supplements I don't believe in, and you've heard me talk about that. I mean, like anything that's um, 
homeopathic. I absolutely do not believe in, uh, and maybe that's a discussion for another time, but I, I really do think a lot of natural supplements are, are things that you need to be taking and in some cases could really save your life and, you know, more commonly could enhance your life. So check out those apple cider vinegar gummies because with all these benefits that I'm saying, the truth is it's just taking apple cider vinegar every day is not exactly something you're going to enjoy. And, uh, yeah, they've made it a much more enjoyable taste, just like having a little gummy bear. It's a little treat for yourself and it's good for your body. And of course their collagen, which is like their flagship product. And that's non-GMO grass fed, single ingredient and single sourced uh, from grass-fed cowhide. That's the only ingredient. That's what they do. And, and with purchase of every sale, they're giving back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which is helping special operations military families. So as always, we want you guys to check them out. We want you to support uh, Bub's Naturals. They have a lot of other great stuff as, as well, too. I mean, I can't cover it all, but the MCT oil powder and, uh, and of course, the Fountain of Youth formula, which tastes great that grape flavor uh we love all of their products we stand by them and uh we stand by the mission so bubsnaturals.com promo code battleline and you're gonna get 20 percent off we're getting great feedback from our listeners who have now become believers and become subscribers some of some are now subscribed on bubs naturals and getting that discount um regularly through them and just taking it every month. But for your first purchase, if you're doing a one-time purchase, just go to bubsnaturals.com and you'll get it for a better deal than anywhere else when you use the promo code BATTLELINE. Uh, yeah, check them out, help out a great cause, and see for yourself what it's going to do for you. With that, let's get right back to Luke Ryan. Like, what did what did you do? What, what's Veterans Day mean to you? What, what did, how did you celebrate um, I really like Veterans Day doesn't hit me super hard. Um, you know, it, it's time for me to kind of reflect on just the people who I served with. I think, you know, I so, so like grateful to have been around some of those guys just in my life and to be in a really hard place, to be in really difficult situations and hard places with them. Um, you know, I mean, changed my life for sure. And, and the, the mil- military service, there are so many like pieces to it, right? There's so many facets to it that, that can kind of change the trajectory of your life. Like, you know, you you learn this, uh, certain work ethic that if you do it right, you can apply to your civilian life. You know, you learn like a lot about discipline and, you know, physical fitness, which can be life-changing too. And like all these other things. But I, you know, the number one thing that really changes you the most, in my opinion, is just the relationships that you make. You know, it's, it's really like that in any other area in life too especially any place that you feel like impacts you, right? It's usually the relationships with people that really impact you the most, uh, not to diminish any of those other pieces, but it's, you know, so I, I like to kind of reflect on that, think about that. But for the most part, I, I, uh, um, you know, kind of like a birthday at, at, at after a certain amount of times, you know, kind of like just sort of like, it's cool. You know, I appreciate the kind words that people throw out there and, then I just kind of, you know, eat dinner, work out, and go to sleep. <laughs> do, do you think there was like a different feeling this particular Veterans Day mm-hmm. with the withdrawal from Afghanistan and that fresh in people's mind and and a lot of guys who are Afghan vets feeling like, all right, was the mission accomplished? What did did we serve our purpose there? Because those are questions we've asked on the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I 
I think it did it did hit a bit differently because of that for sure. I mean, it, it's we are now in this new phase of the American veteran, especially the young, you know, GWAT veterans who are who are now going from looking back at their service to looking back at this like war that has now come to, at least from the American side, come to a a close. So, so we're, it's, it's that end of a chapter kind of feeling. Well, I mean, you know, you feel like your part in it was the chapter and now we're at the end of the book and, you know, you're kind of looking back at this whole thing. So it's a little bit surreal in that, in that respect, you know, dudes aren't going out there anymore into Afghanistan, you know, and, and, jumping into, I mean, they're out in harm's way in other places, but it's not, they're not jumping into firefights in, you know, around Kandahar anymore. Um, Americans anyway. Uh, so, so that, that definitely, definitely, you know, just kind of, again, causes you to pause, reflect on all of that. And, uh, as far as what, what was worth it, you know, from a from a giant strategic sort of political level, I mean, I don't really know. That's a complicated question. That's a complicated answer that you know. I think anybody with a simple answer is is applying some pretty reductive reasoning to the whole, a very insanely complex situation. Because I mean, from a personal level, it just depends on who you ask, right? Like, was it worth it for for that person or for this other person? For a lot of people, the answer is going to be no. And for the, a lot of people, the answer is going to be yes. So, you know, for me, I would say like, yeah, I think it was absolutely worth it. It was worth it for the relationships I made, the experiences I had. I mean, we weren't going after farmers, you know, who were just random dudes when I was in, you know, battalion and, and uh, going over there and going after guys. Like we were going after really bad dudes and wherever they are now, wherever whatever some of them are doing now, some of them are doing nothing now, but the ones who are still around, um, you know, whatever that is, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have been on the other side of something against them. You know what I mean? I mean, these are not like, I, I went after, we went after a dude who used children and like mentally handicapped people as suicide bombers. And the, the, they wouldn't know what they were doing. They would be like, Oh yeah, just walk up to Americans and like press this button, um, you know, or call this number. And that was it. So, you know, going after guys like that, I mean, you can think, was it worth it in the, in the context of an entire war? Or are you going to ask me, was it worth it my time going after that guy? And I would say like, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. Um, but was, were my deployments worth it on a political strategic level? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Yeah, what do you think of the whole withdrawal? Because you are a guy who during, you know, the Trump years and Mike Pompeo and and when we worked together really at SoftRep and then the news rep, you did you did a lot of writing about what was going to be happening and also negotiations with the Taliban. Um I know you write about di- you know different regions, but you did do some writing commentary yeah. on that as well. So I grew up in, you know, I, I lived for uh well, it was nine years technically with, with a two, six month gaps, but basically I lived in Pakistan for 10 years and it was Northern Pakistan in the Kashmir disputed territory area. Um, where Side I- note, what, what's it like being yeah, this, this pale ginger guy in Pakistan? <laughs> you know what? It's funny because uh, there are actually some like um, lighter skinned people up there um, and, and they don't look like me, but it's enough that when you would go down to Southern Pakistan and like, you know, my dad could, would speak Urdu without, without an accent, like super fluent, you know, 
when he, when we would go down to the south, they would assume that he was a natural born Pakistani from the north um, because they had heard that there were, you know, and seen a few that they're lighter skinned and assumed he was just a little bit more lighter skinned. But you'll That's get so you'll crazy see the occasional me. redhead over there. But yeah, I mean, you ob- I obviously stood out like a sore thumb. But um, yeah, no, I don't know. I was if an ignorant episode, little kid. I, I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you listened to the episode. We had uh, Alana Duffy on uh, a few weeks ago, who's a combat vet, but she was making fun of how she said these blonde guys, or in your case, like red haired guys with big beards, and they're like, I, I got to blend in here. And she's like, Dude, you're not blending in. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how big your beard is. Like, yep. they know you're a white guy. Yeah. Um, for sure. But, but anyway, yeah, back to what you're saying. You're 10 years in Pakistan. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I spent 10 years there. Um, you know, our, our house in Gilgit was probably about 300 miles from one of my deployments, you know, so pretty, really close. And I grew up knowing who the Taliban were you know, what they were doing yeah, in the 90s, you know, way, way before 9-11. And we left in 2002 because a lot, you know, a lot changed. Um, but after 9-11, but, and it got, it got real dangerous there. Um, you know, especially the Taliban coming over the border now into our domain. So, um, but, you know, I, I grew up and this was an adversary that I knew very, like quite a bit about. So I was, I was definitely, you know, I wouldn't say happy, but I was definitely ready to be in a position to do something about that since the country that my I'm a citizen of happens to be at war with them now. So uh, and I was in eighth or seventh grade when we went to war with them, but I grew up and it was still happening. So I was like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. I'm, I'm here for it. Um, so, you know, when we pulled out, it's kind of a, this has been something for me that's been didn't start with, you know, 9-11 obviously being this major, you know, centerpiece of an event for all this stuff um, for the entire, you know, the entire war. For me, this has been a narrative that's been going on for as long as I can remember, you know, the whole, the Taliban in Afghanistan and, you know, uh, my family trying to get people refugee status because they fled the Taliban over the, over the border and then trying to get them into you know, one guy we got into like Canada, one guy we got into Norway, you know, like just getting them into different countries, kind of being aware of this process and now seeing that process happen en masse now uh, in this very different situation. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty surreal. And for me, again, talking about that whole chapter book metaphor, like this is definitely uh, is a big, big chapter book that's over now, at least for the American involvement, which I became very, you know, later in my life, obviously I became very involved in. Um, and yeah. And now it's back to how it was. I mean, it's very different than it was in the nineties, but in the sense that the American involvement is now removed from that. Um, it's, it's, you know, the ball, it's a different ball game, but the, the same thing that I've written about in the past and the same thing that I've always thought, the one thing that's going to beat them is going to be, exposure to the world i mean internet access for everybody there would be would be huge they they need education and and it doesn't have to be formal education i mean you know this is a very oppressive environment especially towards women you know and for i mean taking women as an example you know like a young woman growing up and then if she has access to just the internet she can just know that not everybody in the world is treated this way you know not every woman in the world is treated this way this isn't like necessarily a standard that needs to be a, you know that you need to abide by um so that's that's like huge uh 
just that exposure to the rest of the world, you know, being educated informally or formally, you know, whatever, having this exposure is just, it's, it's going to take generations to do anything. I mean, this, it's not going to be an overnight, I mean, you know, an overnight change and it never was going to be. So, you know, once that change, it needs to start happening. And I hope that it is starting to happen. It's going to be a while till we really, I mean, the dust is still really much in the air right now. It hasn't settled, but um, within the next few years, you know, I hopefully that access to technology and everything starts to creep in. And, you know, it's going to take a lot of like North Korean level control to stop that from happening. And I'm not sure the Taliban have that much in them. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not sure they can be pretty oppressive and they would if they could, but I'm not sure if they, they could. We'll How see. crazy is it that when you're saying about this access to technology that where we live here in this great country and there are these women who find out about what's going on over there online and you read these articles about girls in the U.S. becoming ISIS brides, like, yeah, going the complete opposite route of what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, we're all I mean, it's there's no there's definitely no golden ticket with this stuff. And, and you know, access to truth is not enough. Right. There are other elements that we need as human beings. Besides, I see this working in the social media world and the marketing world. We need we need more than just like someone to hand us the truth to be like, Hey, this is the truth. And they just like shove it down your throat. And then when you don't swallow it up, they're like, you know, what the hell? Like, why didn't, you know, why don't you believe me? It's because we get, you know, well, one, we just get shoved facts left and right and they all contradict each other. And they're all kind of like, and sometimes they're both true and without context, they look like complete opposites, even though they might not be. And I mean, it's confusing and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, unsure, people out there. And there are a lot of people who are sure about things that shouldn't be. And, um, you know, that that's why it's easy to radicalize people. And, you know, on the internet is because people are ready to be radicalized in a lot of ways because they don't have these other things. We have access to truth. We have access to the internet in a lot of ways that can provide truth. I mean, not all the answers are out there, obviously. Um, but you know, it can, for example, it can be an endless wellspring of just learning about history, which can teach you so much. And, you know, there's more than you could ever read in your life on there about history, just as an example. But it takes knowledge is not the only thing. I mean, knowledge is useless without wisdom to apply it, right? Wisdom is actually taking knowledge and being able to apply it into your life in a practical way. That's what, in my opinion, wisdom kind of is. So if you have access to all this truth, but you don't have the wisdom to apply it, you know, and you have other things going on, like, you know, a tendency to, to, uh, you know, gravitate toward people who, I mean, a lot of Americans, especially they yearn for this purpose in life. You know, we're super in a super individualistic, like, you know, uh, lead by the heart type culture, or we want to be. And so, but we don't have the opportunity for that very, very often. I mean, that's why so many guys get so amped up about being in the military and they get really like, you know, pretty heartbroken when they separate from that because there's just like everybody else in America, they're in the same culture and environment, but they've tasted that, you know, they feel like they've tasted that purpose that everybody's yearning for this being a part of something greater than yourself. And so if you can capitalize on that as someone who's trying to radicalize someone else, that yearning, that desire, then, you know, I mean, it's going to work with some people for sure, you know, and, and throwing a bunch of facts at them is not going to 
you know, like, Hey, this is, uh, you know, I mean, this is not going to work. This is, you know, like whatever your arguments are, here are counter arguments. No, they're appealing to this emotional need that these people have that's not being fulfilled in other places. And I, I don't want to diminish their responsibility in a part. I mean, if you go join the ISIS, cause you know, you're aboard, you know, Bible belt suburban dude, then like, you know, you're an asshole. That's just the end of it. But which, you know, which happens. The, it's like, it's crazy, but it's real. Yeah. These are the steps to leading up to that though. I think that, that people need to identify in other people and in themselves so they can be like, okay, how do I fulfill this yearning for purpose or, or service in some way or, you know, whatever. Yeah. To, to combat what you're saying a little bit though, yeah, yeah. talk about access to truth with the internet and, and all that. I, I think ideally that sounds great, but the reality is, and we see it in our own culture, where are people getting their facts and their news? Little TikTok videos, Instagram, they're not real, oftentimes reading yeah. full books. And I see it on so many different conflicts. Like I saw this stupid TikTok video that went viral about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And it, it, regardless of what side you're on, I'll listen to both sides. Sure. I can hear from the this perspective of someone who's pro-Palestine or pro-Israel. And, you know, full disclosure, I was raised Jewish. I've been to Israel but these, one of these videos that was huge all over Twitter, TikTok, it was filled with so much inform misinformation yeah. Yeah. about that Israelis never settled there until after the Holocaust. And basically everybody in Israel who's a Jew is a European colon uh, colonizer. Yeah. And it's like, no, Middle Easterners of Christian, Muslim, and uh, a Jewish faith have lived there for generations and generations. And that's a fact. That's yeah. not an opinion. But, you know, people who are sympathetic to this one side, they're like, oh, this sounds good. This backs up my side. I got to spread yeah. this. And they probably never will read a book on the conflict or learn about the great leaders from all sides who have, uh, you know, made the, made history there, whether it's Yitzhak Rabin or any of these people and, and really getting to know the history of Israel and Palestine. It's a lot easier to watch a one minute mm -hmm. TikTok video and think that you're an expert. So, yeah, I mean, the truth is there. It's just inundated and surrounded by so much like, I mean, blatant lies. Yes. But the the real tricky part are like half truths or, you know, truths without context to, to make you believe something else. Right. Like you can you can describe a, uh, I'm not I'm by no means an expert in the sort of the Israel Palestine situation. But as far as like Afghanistan goes, you know, you can describe a you can cherry pick bad things that the U S has done and you can cherry pick bad things that the Taliban have done and you can, I'll give you one. I'm going to give you one that I just thought of. All right. Did, did you see after the Afghanis used the U S helicopters, there was this huge story going around that they're using our helicopters to hang people from them. Oh yeah. Senator Ted Cruz retweeted it. Yeah. A bunch of people in government retweeted it, and it was like, no, they were doing this to, basically have their little celebration and putting guys in harnesses and flying yeah. them, but they were not hanging people from those helicopters. Yeah. That's not true. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know what bothers me and what, what people get so easily pissed off when they see that about something like a mistruth about something that they already disagree with, right? Like, how could you say this? You're misinterpreting this. No wonder people believe what you believe. What really like kind of pisses me off is when people who believe the same thing that I do use those techniques, because I mean, I think we should be holding each other accountable. And, you know, those people are making me look like an asshole for believing the same thing, you know, whatever this position that I have is right. Like, 
Um, you know, so I, I am sometimes come off as a contrarian or like I'm arguing with people who I agree with just because their arguments are, are stupid and they're making this whole, I, I think that in order to be on a side about something, like you need to have a high standard of, of, you know, how you're having this dialogue, you know, how you're talking to other people about it. Otherwise you just look stupid and you're just adding to just the noise, which is drowning out all the truth out there, you know, and you can parse through it if you really work at it and you have, you know, you, you develop your mind for it, but that takes a lot of work. I mean, you know, I, I work in the social media world and, and, you know, dealing with that. I mean, that's a good example. That whole world is a good example of just, you know, this inundation and, you know, like political memes, super reductive. If you say anything to counter at it, they're like, Oh, it's just a joke, bro. Like relax. But if you, if you, but it's still presented to try to make a point, right? Like political memes are just, in my opinion, really stupid for that reason. Cause they don't accomplish anything. Uh, it's this barrier that like, if, if anybody says anything, you can just say it's a joke, but it still does contribute this part of the conversation out there. And it's always super reductive and, and just kind of lame. Uh, it just reminds me of old angry, like chain letters that, you know, your grandpa forwards you, um, like emails, which is, uh, we still get, uh, you know, Facebook and all that. Yeah. Dude, sharing, sharing political viral random memes and posts on Facebook is the new version is like the next generation's version of those like political chain emails that your grandpa. Yeah. Sent. Um, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it's, it's so hard to parse through all that stuff to get to the truth. And well, um, I mean, what, what you're saying is actually really indicative of the, uh, the controversy your company went through. If you want to get into it a little bit, I mean, the, like, I saw how much you guys were attacked and they were like, Oh, I thought you were about guns and I thought you were a conservative company. And when the only statement that was kind of made is like these extremists of the right, we don't really want to be associated with that. Well, and, that was- and I, I totally understood where you guys were coming from. It was not. And, but then all of a sudden it was like that you guys are like Antifa socialist liberals. Yeah. And it's like, no, I know Marty Scullin and Luke Ryan. That's yeah. not the case, but they're also not right-wing extremists by any means. No, no. I mean, and, and like people now they expect a disclaimer because you know, the word Nazi gets thrown around so much. Um, so like, I guess it's even maybe like 1% understandable, but still it's stupid. Like you should, you should be able to come out and be like, you know, like, I don't, I I don't like Nazis. Like if you're an actual Nazi, then like, you know, fuck off. Like I don't, I'm not a fan, you know, and and it's okay to say that. And you don't have to add a disclaimer to that. Like you don't need to be like, but, but I mean like only this, only this, no, like literal Nazis. No, not about it. Like it's cool. You know, like if you guys want to not buy from us and that's fine, you know, and you know, there shouldn't, you shouldn't need to have extra words around. It doesn't matter. Like you're not trying to prove yourself to the right or the left. It's just, I mean, like Indiana Jones fights Nazis and you can't really talk shit about him. So like, you know, <laughs> that that's, that's just the start and the end of it. Um, and then, so, you know, just kind of uh, that, that just whole thing. I mean, one the biggest centerpiece of that really is, is like, we don't profit off of tragedy. It's like anything that happens when people are like, you know, when, when specific events go down, you know, you see companies, they're like, let's print a t-shirt with like what we think about our side on as if it's as if like that does anything except make you money. That's really all. Are, are you uh, to the noise? 
are you thinking specifically now about like the Kyle Rittenhouse stuff with all that coming out? Pretty much a lot of controversies that we've been involved in have just been because we won't take the typical like, hey, we're going to try to make money off of this by like virtue signaling by saying what side we're on and then making a bunch of merchandise based off of this. You know what I mean? Like, like, no, we're just not going to do it. And, you know, I don't I think that's a really wise decision and that's a decision above above me but i it's just i i don't think that like america doesn't need people who do that like we have like we are we support you know law enforcement right we support these these courts as they go through this process and we can criticize that and, and everything after this process is done but like you know this is this is like a this isn't the mob <laughs> you know like we're not the mob we don't we don't throw rotten fruit at people like we don't certainly don't sell t-shirts at a bunch of people like to a bunch of people who are throwing rotten fruit at people like we're just you know i mean we sell we sell coffee and we support the veteran community and you know that's really like the heart of what we do and you know it makes stupid videos and and shit like that but <clears throat> i mean the this these have, did you watch the movie inside with bo burnham Ah uh, no, no. You should watch it because there's a section in there that's really funny. I wish I heard about it. I wish that there was a. Um, you can't find it on YouTube, but it's in the in the movies. There's a section that he has on brand every brand having to take a stance. He's like a brand. Uh, it's a little sketch, a little skit where sure. he's like a brand uh, advisor, and he's like, "Why should you hire me? Well, I'm going to show your brand how to take a stance." And he's like everyone's wondering like where does skittles stand on police brutality and all this stuff it's really but it, it is but it is true. so true right yeah. now and it was never like that because you and i are relatively the same age it was yeah. not like that in the 90s or the early 2000s and it is kind of weird you know i'm not someone who's going to raise a whole issue about this because there's bigger things in life but there is something strange about when i go to a starbucks and like their official t-shirt has a black lives matter logo printed on it because that that position is no longer just a position. It's it's basically a super PAC. It's like any other super PAC. Like they're profiting off of this yeah, idea of, of police brutality against the black community. And so it is really strange to me of, I don't know. You, I mean, you would never see something on what would be considered the other side printed on the official logo t-shirt of this mega corporation. I, I would be interested in knowing what the like the the whole like LGBTQ uh, community thinks about like the obvious seasonal just you know like oh we have all the like pride merchandise for like this one period of time a year and you know um, and then it's over like see you later <laughs> you know and I you know some companies don't do that but I'd be interested in knowing what a lot of those I haven't really heard or, or don't know much about it but would be interested in knowing how they feel about that. Cause I think that's a good example of people really going hardcore about capitalizing on like a movement. And then just as soon as it doesn't benefit them anymore, they stop. And, and, and here's the other thing too, these blocks of people, like we like to section them off into this group thinks this way and they're united on everything. And it's really not the truth yeah, you're right. because <laughs> I, I just from people I've even spoken to in my family, there are out gay people, right? who who don't really see themselves aligned with the transgender community. They're like, this is a whole another thing. This, uh, this is not a group that really speaks for me. Or even think of like the Latino community, right? The, the way Cubans tend to vote is different than the way Mexican-Americans tend to vote. And 
But yeah. we have to like section and even veterans, right? The veteran community. There's plenty of we had Alana Duffy on the podcast. I would say Alana Duffy uh probably identifies like center left or, or liberal and been plenty of conservative veterans on the show. Sure. It, we we just they they have to make everything a monolith and it's yeah, not no, that's true. true. America's always been about individualism and yeah. I think it should be more about that. Yeah, I mean I, so a great, I think about this, that a lot actually, cause I, so I was in a, you know, I was in a school shooting when I was a kid, when I was in yeah. eighth grade. Which you spoke about if people want to listen back episode 17. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, so I have, and, and if you go and ask people about their stance on firearms and ownership of firearms who are there with me, literally hiding under a desk next to me, I guarantee you our, our ideas are going to be different. Like, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, if you go to the veteran, you know, the, the veteran space and you ask about religion, right? Uh, some people, there's the there's the old adage that, you know, um, I forget exactly how it goes, but basically like there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. And then sure. you'll get other guys who will parrot this thing that you've heard on Hollywood a million times, which is like, you know, I realized that when I saw this, that there was no God, there was no like sky daddy or whatever. There's just like chaos and death or whatever. And it's this little bit melodramatic, but like, you know, I both people will come out of the same firefight with these two very opposite, you know, like ideas about it. And uh, we all interpret life differently. So, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do try to like when, when a lot of people from one place are saying something like when, a, you know, like, a lot of veterans are trying to be like, Hey, this is an issue that we're trying to deal with. You know, I would listen when a lot of people are speaking like that. I think everybody could deal with listening more. Um, you know, whether or not you agree with what it is that they're saying or not, it doesn't matter. Just like shut up and listen for a bit. You know? Yeah. Um, and, but when, you know, but realizing exactly what you're saying, I mean, people aren't a monolith. They're, they're, they're individual. They're different. They can go through the exact same experience and have a different outlook on it coming out of it yeah no i fully agree and i i, I want to wrap up the, what we're talking about with the whole um with with this discussion but just an example that i'm thinking of real quick too was the reaction right to black rifle coffee and the things that were said in that new york times piece there were people whose reaction was like oh so now you don't stand with trump supporters you you don't want trump supporters buying your stuff and it's like that's not what what was said it was People who who um, were a part of what happened on January 6th, which is a, a really, really tiny portion of half the country who voted for Trump. And it was not at all what you guys said. And, and but people just love to interpret things in like this crazy way. They're Oh, you don't want the money of like half the country now? No. Yeah. Just read the Yeah. You just read it and take it. at what. That's what I do. I try to take things at face value. Like there's no, you know, what somebody says. That's it. Like if somebody says something, then I can base what they what they, who they are off of the thing that they said, when you start extrapolating all of these sort of like inferences and different like conclusions going down all these rabbit holes, like you, you'll get to whatever conclusion you want to really. I mean, if you're waiting for the next thing to be angry about, you know, like there it is, it's just going to be, you know, life is pretty much whatever you want it to be at that point. So like truth is whatever is malleable. Apparently if you're, if you're going to go down rabbit holes and just make up kind of based off of what they're going to call, evidence of like you know a couple lines and sort of ignoring these huge you know donations to the to a community to the veteran community to like all these like these powerhouse like (laughs) you know movements that we're part of yeah Um, but it doesn't matter because it's not about us it's about these individuals 
who are going through what a lot of Americans are going through, which is like a really confusing time on the internet when emotions are high, truth feels malleable or, or clouded. And except for to you, it feels like shining bright and clear. And, you know, it's, it's a really strange time. Um, there's actually some interesting similarities when the printing press was invented and literacy rates started going up. People f- figured that that just meant, you know, knowledge and education and life would just get better. Um, but it just got different, you know, probably yeah, better. Yes, in general, but there were certain complications like what we're seeing now in this, you know, inundation of information and, um, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a good thing. Cause I think you guys saw like who really stands with you and, and who doesn't, but um, yeah, I, talking, I wanted to get into, sorry, when I was talking about, Nazi, no, no. when I was talking about Nazis, I mean, there's some of so there were actual Nazis who were like, you know, doxing us like real life ones who I'd never interacted right. with before. Uh, I was like, you know, I, we weren't interacting with them. We were just like, you know, kind of shielding against them, but it was like, you know, stuff like that. It's like, holy shit, like these people really exist out there. <laughs> like, you know, you always hear about it, but never actually running into any of these people, even online, not directly. Um, You've never in real life, I have. You've never in real life run into like an actual Nazi, like neo-Nazi? No, I mean, you know, growing up overseas, not common in Pakistan or Thailand. And then, uh, you know, here, I I haven't really, no. You want to know what's crazy? I was at the Met game um, right after Mm 9-11. It was like an iconic game. Guy next to me at the game, full on swastika tattoo on his arm. Wow. Yeah. That's wild, man. I mean, they exist. Yeah, so they do. <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, there's rallies and yeah, it's not definitely not a fictitious. No, thing. not. Um, no. <laughs> so, uh, you know what I wanted to get into with you, though, is so you've written several books at this point. Yeah. And, and actually, the last time you were on, which at this point, a year and a half ago, you were promoting. Uh, another book, a shorter book. And, and this latest book is The First Marauder, uh, which just came out. It's available on Amazon.com. Uh, yeah, let's get into it and, and what inspired it and, and what the book's about. Yeah, so it's about a 15-year-old kid in a post-apocalyptic uh, world. He's in the Tampa area. Um, he's, uh, you know, he is sort of, he's the only person he knows who has a surviving family member from this post-apocalyptic event which I wrote the book before the pandemic. The apocalyptic event is basically like a weaponized virus that has spread around the earth. <laughs> or I wrote the first draft before the pandemic. So it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Um, not prophetic, just kind of dumb luck or unluck. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. There's those people online who will say there are no coincidences. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. This is definitely one of the coincidences. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's he's kind of and his brother's killed in a skirmish over resources. So um, you know he's fifteen. He's just figuring out. He lies about his age and joins this local militia that's kind of forming to protect you know their resources against this neighboring town. And he kind of is seeking revenge. But what winds up happening is way more complicated. I mean, that's really just the first act, and he gets sucked into this whole. I mean, he's fifteen, but it's you know it's it's a novel for adults. It's it's like uh, about the discovery of war and politics. I mean, he's kind of squarely in that age between when I was first joined the army and when I was in my school shooting. And so he's like, you know, he is learning about violence and combat as, as sort of I did in those two events. Um, well, one event and one career and, you know, like 
learning about the intricacies of war and politics on a, and when I say politics, I mean on a larger level, yes, but also on a smaller level, you know, the military politics and like uh, all, all sorts of things like that. Um, and then this, the mayors, the mayoral politics of the, the local area in that Tampa area in this post-apocalyptic world. And um, yeah, so that he's just struggling to navigate this world and he's got this uh, um, he's just kind of stumbling through it and, and trying to survive and trying to at first seek out vengeance and figure out, you know, what to do. It's a lot about endurance, the discovery of those things and about like endurance, you know, um, he just always keeps going. That's like his, you know, his only pretty much quality that he really can hold on to. He's so young. He doesn't know how to fight very well. He doesn't know how to do very much of anything very well. Um, but, but he knows that he's always just going to keep going, keep trying and, um, do the best that he can, which not everybody is doing. And, um, that's a big thing for me. I mean, when people say do the best that you can, they usually mean it as like a cop out, like try and then give up if you can't do it immediately. I mean, how many times can I really count on, uh, you know, that I've done the actual best that I could like literally to the maximum potential of what I could possibly do, you know, maybe within realism, but still like very rarely have I done that. I mean, and I've done a, a, a couple of things that I've really pushed myself, you know, really hard down, you know. I'm going to I'm gonna guess going through Ranger Battalion. That's got to yeah. be one of them. Yeah, play. going through like RASP, the Ranger Selection, and then Ranger School, and, you know, like Seer School, and just hard deployments and hard stuff after deployments or hard training cycles. You know, uh, other times in my life, like during the pandemic, I wrote a lot. Like I wrote the whole sequel to The First Marauder. I wrote... Uh, I wrote two other books. One is pretty short, but, and then the fourth one I started and then finished more recently, but you know, like I wrote a lot and I would be hard pressed to say with my job, could I have done any more, maybe a little bit, but not really. Like I got pretty close to my max amount of writing during that time. Like I, I pretty much did my best, but like there's a lot of things that I've done and done successfully and done well that like, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to beat myself up about it or anything, but like, if it works, it works. But you know, when people say do your best and in the context of this book, this kid just doing his best, like he really, he's really like trying really hard all the time. I mean, and it's incredible. That's why I really discovered in Ranger Battalion is incredible what your body is capable of. If you have that mindset, like what you can push your body to do, you know, or your mind to do, if you treat your mind the way that like athletes treat their body, right? Like you can train it, you can like educate it, you can, you know, you can start to break down different methods of, for example, like work ethic, you know, how do I, how do I keep, you know, how do I retain discipline in this thing that is not like just working out or something like that? You know, how do I retain discipline for me? Like in my writing every day, in my, you know, filmmakings, you know, in my, in my work, um, all, all these sorts of, intangible qualities you're you're training your mind to be better at them um just as you train your body and like i said i mean you just do your best and if you know everybody dies at some point i mean if you're you're in combat and you just do your best up until you can't anymore uh and it's the same thing everywhere else is is this protagonist based off you a little bit um not really he's he's probably like a, a a little bit of a um I I'd say like similar in my good qualities, <laughs> uh, take some of my, my, my bad qualities out of there. Uh, but he's, 
I like the, I like the, um, there, there was a lot of meat in him. I would say that for sure. You know, uh, he, he's, you know, exposed to violence at a young age, but he didn't, he doesn't like, it's not like this. It, it's a childhood trauma is what it is, but it's not this, you know, the shooting for me, it didn't, it didn't just like turn and wrench and ruin my life. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it was, uh, I mean, I, I came out, I came out of it and, you know, has its effects on me, but then I went and became a ranger and got way more into the whole world of combat, you know, like times 10. And, um, I mean, it, it's, it's just that kind of journey. There are a lot of nuances there that aren't, that aren't your typical, like, Oh, I did some war things and now I'm a broken person or, Oh, I did like, you know, some more things and now I'm like a cool hero. Like it's this, there's a ton of nuance in there, right? Being exposed to violence as a kid just like we were saying before, I mean, everybody reacts to it differently. I mean, some people are going to like freak out at the sound of gunfire for the rest of their lives if they hear that. And there's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing wrong with them being broken in that way. You know, I mean, I think that you need to seek help and get, try to, you know, help yourself as much as you can. Um, and you know, do your best at that, uh, in, in a healing sense. Right. But, um, you know, that with that being a natural reaction to a traumatic event, isn't like, stupid or anything, um, for sure. But you know, that my, my journey was different than that, right? Like actually it taught, it showed me one thing is that I knew that I wouldn't freak out if people started shooting. Cause I didn't really freak out when it happened when I was in eighth grade. So, you know, um, and that, that kind of, but that doesn't mean that it didn't affect me, you know? And so a lot of the nuance of that kind of trauma, one, one thing that I really put in there is that he's in this post-apocalyptic environment, right? And he's fighting through all of these situations, well, fighting slash just trying to survive and stay alive. Uh, Cause he's like 15 and barely knows how to use a weapon and stuff. And, but he's, he's like fighting through all these situations and he has all of these emotions starting to come up and he just like keeps pushing them down, pushing them down, pushing them down. And this is kind of a reoccurring theme throughout the, the trilogy. Cause it's the first in a trilogy. Um, and the second one, he's 25 and the third one, he's 50. So, you know, it's the span of his life. And, you know, you push stuff down like that, you need to in combat. It's not, it's not like a, it's not just like a defense mechanism that, you know, if you are a healthier minded person, you would be able to allow it to pop up. Like you can't break down in a firefight. And, and, you know, at at a certain point, like for me, it's your natural instinct to just push it down. You don't even have to try anymore. So the problem is, is then when you're done, you have to like, after a certain, especially after a certain number of combat experiences, you know, which is, I'm sure is different for everybody. Uh, it doesn't come back up as easily anymore because you've trained it so much to all of these emotions, these reactions to these traumatic events have, you know, they start to stay down there and you have to go back in there and pull them out and unpack them yourself because nobody's going to do it for you. And Um, They're just going to eat you from the inside if you don't. So, you know, you got to like pull all that stuff out and like look at it. And and, um, it's a super healing and and good experience to do that. I do that a lot with my poetry. I, I, the two other books that you mentioned are poetry books and yeah, you know, they're war poetry books. And I, I, that's the whole point of them is me to unpack these ideas that I've experienced. And that's what Tyler, this protagonist in this book is, is, getting more into later, he's kind of in the pushing down phase and then noticing that as he's going along, you know, it's not hard anymore to do that. He's not like 
struggling to to not cry or anything by the end of it. He's just so used to, you know, doing this stuff that, but he's not just some jaded, you know, like cynic, cynic, you know, that's the Hollywood stereotype of a, a war veteran, right? He's not this sort of like either broken human being that's just, you know, and he's also not just this super jaded cynic. He's a, uh, he functions pretty well. He does stuff pretty well. Uh, you know, he, he's smart. He's still always trying to do the right thing. You know, his moral compass is pretty unwavering in general. And, um, even if he's confused about where he's supposed to go sometimes because he's 15. Um, but he's, he's still like, you know, the, those, that, that nuance of these, these emotions that he's bubbling, trying to bubble up, he's continuously packing them down. That's a huge, a huge theme in the book and a huge part of me to long winded way of answering your question. A no. part of me that I kind of siphoned into his character and uh, in a way is a lot like me because that's how I, reacted to the school shooting and that's how I reacted to combat after when I was an adult as well. Yeah. It sounds like even though it's, as you said, this post-apocalyptic science fiction book, it's the type of thing that's going to inspire people to, as you said, like do their very best at something and really push the limit if they want to go for something. Um, which you don't, you don't see often. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of biographies, autobiographies, even poetry, as you said, that, that inspires people. A lot of these books are kind of uh, just entertainment. This seems to have a bigger message. Yeah, they're, they're, um, I mean, the post-apocalyptic genre in general is a little bit tired right now, I think. It's like a lot of stories about it, but, you know, I think it's a fascinating setting because it's Western culture, it's something we're all familiar with, um, you know, it's in America, uh, but it's like a battlefield setting 24-7, pretty much, you know, even, I mean, in on the battlefield, you're not in firefights hundred percent of the time, this is like a tiny percentage of what your time in F, you know, in Afghanistan, <clears throat> a war zone, I guess I should say is more accurate than a battlefield, but you know, it makes it that all the time. And it's just an interesting setting to start to explore these kind of ideas. Uh, really interesting to me. Um, so, you know, you can kind of explore the nature of courage or grief, you know, in, in a really raw kind of way. So, Insofar as I'm exploring those ideas, that's how I feel like that's what separates it from these like kind of generic post-apocalyptic adventure stories that ultimately are, are pretty forgettable, um, which not all of them are, but there, there are a lot of those out there. Um, and then the one I'm really still trying to use that setting as a, as a mode to, to look at these sorts of other ideas, you know, that are really important to me. But there's still the, you know, I still want it to be like, it's still an adventure. It's kind of a dark adventure, but it's still like, it's it's not like a super super ultra heavy realism per se. I mean, I'm exploring these ideas, but it's still like a 15 year old kid kind of running around meeting interesting characters, and some of them are kind of like, you know, kind of out there, kind of people, interesting and funny or, or exciting parts, you know, stuff like that. So there there's I love the medium of storytelling and of novels and filmmaking, but like, you know that the the uh, the core of it is ultimately those basic central ideas you you truly have to love writing because you're the same as uh some of our colleagues right like alex hollings and jack murphy were like you make your living writing for for coffee or die magazine but this is like your creative outlet i you know i think it's fair to say like you're not making like crazy money writing these books this is more just something you love doing it's your creative outlet which it you have to love it at that point because yeah. when you're writing all day long and you're like, I'm going to take a break from this 
to do more writing. Yeah. It's, it's something you, you love. So I'm writing less now. I'm more on the film side now for my work. And actually that's made it a lot easier because that's cool. when I'm, when I get kind of taxed when I'm, when I'm writing all day and then switch gears to writing. And I've done that before successfully, but it's like, it's kind of a lot when I'm like, you know, I write 2000 words for work and then I like want to get around and, and now I'm going to start working on my novel. And the worst part for me actually is not so much the writing. It's the sitting at the same desk doing the, essentially the same thing. Like, you know, you're, do you like, go other places please. though? Cause I, I do writing, right? Like I do writing for narrative.fm and I love going to a Starbucks and just like having the different atmosphere. It's important to me. I can't just be in front of my same computer screen indoors all the time. I like it. Um, I write better with a two monitor setup. So that kind of sucks. And then I also use this system of writing that's behind me. If you, if you, yeah, if you the note cards. So like, you know, I do, I, I write on Google docs because specifically so I can, write it from anywhere, even on my phone, if I'm feeling, feeling creative while I'm waiting in line somewhere. Yeah. Um, Google docs is great like that. Yeah. You no, know, I love it. I mean, I, I've, I've done a bunch on word, but it's, I'm, I'm just the, the accessibility from any device is awesome. Um, I will take my laptop and write quite a bit on it. Um, like I said, I've written all those other books and, and in writing those other books since then, which have not been published yet, um, signed for the second the sequel of this one. So that one's definitely going to get out there, but I've kind of refined my workflow and my process since writing this one, first one. Um, and, you know, I probably will write a quarter on my laptop and like, you know, three quarters on my desktop, I would say. Um, what, what helps me too is not working from home anymore helps a lot. Cause now this is my writing space and my writing computer and my like subconscious. It's like, I sit down here, I'm here to my creative part of my brain is going to start lighting up. Whereas if I'm working remotely from the same computer and the same desk, a lot of parts of my brain are kind of always going while I'm sitting here. So um, it, it helps to have that kind of physical separation. You know, I, I outline with note cards physically because I really like that physical interaction and it, it's helped me. And, you know, talk about training your mind. One thing that I've done that I've spent a lot of time on is refining my workflow. So my I have an end state of actually having a finished book at the end you know, that's what I want to do. So if that's what I want to do, then like, I need to not just worry about, okay, I need to discipline myself until the book's done. I need to take a step back and be like, how can I create an, like a working environment that works for me that may or may not work for other people, but it doesn't matter because I'm the only one writing my own things. So, you know, what works for me every day and how do I craft that workflow in a way and start seeing what works and what's hitting. Um, and, it's an ongoing process that I'll probably keep refining for the rest of my life. But, um, yeah. But you know what? It gives you purpose and you are someone with a strong sense of purpose. I could tell, like, I just, I don't, I don't see you ever being at any point in your life now being a guy who's at a cubicle. Like you love doing creative things and, and kind of making your own, forging your own path. True. Like, like a lot of guys that we've had on this show, I think, once, if you have the mindset for it, it's hard to ever go back to that type of life. I've experienced yeah. it on my own too. You know, like I don't miss working for a big corporation. And I love that, like with narrative.fm, I'm writing stories, I'm recording stuff, I'm doing this podcast. I have another idea for a podcast I'm going to launch soon. And yeah, I love just seeing ideas come to fruition. I, yeah. you know, I, I love like yeah. kind of having my own dream and, and making it happen. It's, it's yeah. such a cool thing. And I'm sure for you, getting that book out there and, this 
accumulation of all these months of work and all these boards behind you, right, with these notes, and then you finally have this finished product that you spent all this time on. It's tangible. Yep. I mean, yeah. I mean, starting this whole podcast is something that you have have got taken from an idea phase to not just like you know to to like this this end state, which is open ended for a podcast, obviously, right? You're, sure. You just keep going for forever, but um, it's this. It's a cool. You know, you've you've built something that has reached that end state, you know, and and uh, um, books, you know, once they're done, they're done. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of nice in that respect. You have like a product, but um, but I'm I'm that's that being the end. That's not actually the end state. Sorry for a book. The publishing part is the end state. So really my or i was gonna say if it becomes a series if you end up i don't know if that's the case for this though this one yeah i signed for three books so i signed for the trilogy there you go so i'm gonna um, so it's not done and you're probably still living with these characters of what i am i'm on the third one i just started the third one so i finished the second one and i'm on the third one it's taken a lot the scope of conflict escalates with each book the first one's just a kid running around in the in the florida jungle you know with a gun and you know that's pretty easy for me to like visualize because i've lived in florida tampa area for four years i uh you know i know i like that area i know yeah no it's 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 an interesting different environment for a post-apocalyptic story that's not just like you know the desert or something so but you know so running around in that area um that's the first one second one is like a larger scope of conflict but like company company level military conflicts you know as far as size of people fighting each other and, you know, Max, you know, a lot of it's just like team squad level stuff. And then, you know, but the third one is like this total war level, you know, command strategy stuff. So it's taken a lot more research and and that's been kicking my ass a little bit just because I'm starting to talk about stuff that I know about from a military sense in general. But, you know, like I'm, you know, I was a, I was a team leader in, in Ranger Battalion. I wasn't like commanding amphibious forces during an invasion of a country. Right. So I, my personal experience with that is pretty limited. Uh, you know, my, my amphibious warfare experience is like riding around Zodiacs on in ranger school, you know, and hopping off and jumping on a beach and then doing the same thing we always do. Like, again, not this total war command level. So it's taken a lot of, uh, you know, research and talking to people who have some experience in that. Um, and so I'm trying to, formulate that and then i'm refining a few other pieces to my writing process that i'm trying out that are new that i'm really liking so you know it's a growth experience it's it's a constant you know growing and learning and stuff which i like to do a lot um yeah i was wondering that if you like you because you have a nice especially with the guys that we worked with like rolodex of people in special operations in the military who did very different things from you that you could interview so i do wonder that if you interviewed them or like when we had brad thor on uh, Brad Thor has said before, like Brad is not a combat vet, but his books do so well among that audience because he's he makes it very important to him. I got to get the dialogue right. I got to get all the um you know terms right, and that's why he's good friends with like Marcus and and Morgan Luttrell, and he'll interview those guys. And as he said, sometimes they'll break his balls, but I can't believe like you put this. And he has to make sure it's completely accurate as a guy who hasn't been in that world. Yeah. And the biggest thing for me, I mean, there's a lot that comes naturally when it comes to, you know, combat. That's just, I can pull from memory. Like, what does it feel like when an explosion goes off, you know, 10 feet away from you? You know, what is kind of the, um, you know, what does it feel like when somebody is like, uh, 
you know, I remember somebody shooting over my shoulder front friendly uh, and just the rounds being so close to my shirt that I could feel them going over and like, you know, pulling my shirt up, you know, a little bit. So, so, you know, things like little details like that, like you can throw in and that's great. But, but what really is important uh, is these like emotional truths is what, you know, artsy nerds like me call it. Um, and it's just like these emotional truths of what is it really, you know, what does it really feel like grief on the battlefield is a, is a good example of that. It, it's got this hazy Hollywood definition now that, that it's like, you know, you lose somebody and you have the shot of the, the one soldier crying as the other one dies in his arms and stuff. And then you have like this, this like invented war world that exists outside of our humanity that exists over there across the ocean in this other country. And then they come back and they're like all, you know, jacked up about it and stuff. It's not the, the dude just lost his, his friend. That's what it is. They're friends. And he's going to be not thinking about these epic moments. He's going to be thinking about like the little stupid things that they used to do that any friends used to do that. Like if your friend got shot in the face right in front of you, you'd be pretty jacked up about too. So like, you know, and everybody knows that on like a conscious level, but on a subconscious level, we kind of have these ideas that are instilled in us that, you know, like, how do you communicate this emotional truth that this dude is gonna, like, you know, uh, like, you know, this, this grief that this guy is experiencing, or on the flip side of that, you know, you have a guy who is awarded a, this is a scene I've always thought to write into something that would be cool. You have a guy who's awarded like a silver star or something, this war hero, and, you know, say he's like a corporal in, in Ranger Bat or something. And then, you know, the ceremony's over, like comes back home and goes back to his barracks, you know, maybe he doesn't have a girlfriend, he's just a single dude and like fires up his Xbox and, you know, like throws off his uniform and gets in his like sweatpants or whatever and just starts playing Xbox. Like just got a silver star. Like, you know, this is this reality. That's what happens. That's how it is. You know what I mean? Like you go, you get these big awards or you don't. And you know, you just go back and do whatever it else is you were just doing. And those emotional truths are the things that I'm really interested in, like trying to convey about, especially about combat or war that are really interesting to me. And it takes a lot of like, for me, I mean, just remembering and experiencing it for that level of writing for me is not enough. I need to really like dig into my own memories and experiences and like talk to people who are there with me and start like, having conversations about these things and unearthing all of these ideas. So I can then articulate them in the context of an actual story. Yeah. Well, with you being a filmmaker too, you ever think of like adapting any of this to film? Cause there's, as you're saying, like Hollywood doesn't always get this stuff right. And you might be able to make something that people will watch and they'll go, he got it right. I'd love to. Um, right now I'm working on just kind of inching my way into the creative filmmaking world. Cause I do, I, most of the stuff I do is for work. Um, so, but now I, I, I just bought a nice, you know, a camera, I just bought a black magic six K pro, uh, super stoked about it. Just been messing around with it recently. Um, but I'm going to start shooting like poetry videos with it, like kind of these montage artistic, like, um, and, and a lot of my poetry is war poetry. Um, so, but that would be cool. Just like short videos released on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. So, and they will be like narrated. I'll just narrate over it and it'll be these very kind of, I want it. So what I did with my war poetry is I want it to be like, I mean, it's poetry, but it's accessible to dudes first and foremost to dudes who are, well, first of all, it's just like I said before, it's for me to unearth this like stuff that's inside of me and just figure out and articulate it somehow. 
So you'd be surprised what you find if you do that to yourself. And, you know, like second, I want it to be accessible to guys who experience similar things. And I've gotten that reaction from a lot of guys, which is always makes me super stoked is that like people are like, yeah, man, like this really resonates with me. And and the dude is like, you know, it has like six appointments or something. And, and um, I'm like, you know, that's awesome. And, you know, now I'd like to add a visual component to that kind of poetry, which is in hopefully hitting these deep kind of levels of the human experience, but accessible to everyone. You know, I'm not trying to get my like PhD in poetry or anything. Uh, I'm trying to, trying to like communicate, not that there's, you know, I would actually love to do that, but <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, like communicating these ideas through, you know, and adding in this visual component to it is kind of the next step that I'm taking, which I'm really excited about. Basically they'll be like kind of little mini short films. Uh, Dude, if you ever need anyone to do voiceover for these, there's another voice. <laughs> All right. I know I'm in. Yeah, I don't think I ever asked you, do you, do you and Leo Jenkins know each other? Cause you guys are like the two Ranger poets that I know. Um, we have not met in person at all. Uh, but I talked to him a lot. So yeah. He's a good dude. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting because you guys both have the same outlet, which is not at all stereotypical of what people think of the special operations community. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I one thing that's interesting about the special operations community that I really love about it is that like you, you in order to act and work at a high level of functioning, you have to kind of retain a sense of individuality, which the Army kind of stamps out a lot, um, you know. it's so in order to like, if you can take all of this stuff that they throw at you, you know, you, you kind of, I mean, it changes you for sure. hundred percent, but, but you still retain this sense of uh, identity of yourself. So there, there are actually a lot of interesting guys like that in Ranger Battalion that maybe not, maybe not poetry or writing per se, but other things that they're interested in or that they do that they don't lose when they get out or when they're in they're just still like that, you know, like super nerdy dudes, super like, uh, you know, I, I mean, one of my roommates in Ranger Battalion, he played a uh, Dota, that game, um, just constantly, you know, and, uh, you know, another guy is super into just like electronics. Another guy is just really into athletics and fitness. I mean, you know, obviously the, the biggest pastime is going to be dudes who are just into like working out and stuff like that. But yeah. But it's still, it's still, you know, if you can meet those standards and you can pass those selection courses, then, you know, that's what they want. That's what they care about. And it takes a sense, a certain level of individualism and endurance to be able to get there. So you get a really diverse set of people who have owned those. And because they're the type of person who can become a ranger or another part of special operations, they're also the type of person that will generally go down those rabbit holes of whatever it is that they like and go way down them. (laughs) Yeah. The interesting thing thing with guys who are into the working out, like I noticed on Instagram and all that, is that the guys who uh, I think people get the stereotypes sometimes of like the super, super jack guys. And like, this is what an army ranger looks like. And a lot of the times that's what they look like post service yeah. because they're really into working out. But for the size some of these guys are, you can't really look like that and have the cardio uh, that you would need to be an army ranger. And that's why like, you know, uh, just body type, right? Like uh, Chris Peranto looks very different than like Nick Irving. Yeah. He's a lot leaner and uh, not smaller because Nick's very short, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, 
it's kind of funny. Like, I, I think people might have this weird stereotype, like an army ranger while in combat does not look like a bodybuilder. No, some of them do, but provided they can hit their run times. Um, and then some of them don't. I was pretty skinny in, in, for a ranger in general, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, physical fitness is one of a lot of things you have to be able to do. You got to meet the standard for sure of physical fitness to realistically survive in battalion. You have to exceed it the bottom standard, you know? Um, but I mean, that's one of many things you have to learn how to do. I mean, you got to be able to do all your battle drills. You got to be able to like, you know, react contact, knock out a trench, all that stuff, room clearing, you know, you got to be able to do, be proficient in like land navigation and all of the ranger first aid stuff. And I mean, there's a lot, you have to be able to operate vehicles. You have to be able to fast rope. You got to be able to parachute. You got to do all these other like tasks and physical fitness is one of the most important ones, but it's not the only one. So, you know, there are going to in rangers, the ranger selection, I mean, endurance is a uh, mental endurance is a huge one. I mean, in, in RASP and the ranger selection course, um, ranger assessment and selection program, you have to, you know, like there are stronger and more fit dudes that won't make it, you know, I mean, just because there's, there's more to it than that. Um, and then a lot of guys, they go through their deployments, you know, you're just worried about surviving and learning all these things and, you know, staying in shape while doing all these other things. And not to mention actually going on deployment and going on missions, which is its own, obviously whole thing. And that's the whole point. And then, you know, you, you get out and now you have this intense physical fitness background, you know, that, the guys will capitalize on it and then they just get freaking huge and jacked. Yeah. And then people have this image that that's what they look like before. And then you see pictures of them before and they're like this skinny little kind of awkward yep. dude with a crooked helmet or whatever. But <laughs> that was when they were doing the hard stuff. And now that they're, they're out now they're all jacked and they look way hard, more hardcore, but you know, they're not doing that anymore. Um, yeah. It's also cause like funny. with the exception of like a Chris Peranto, people don't like doing cardio every single day. It gets kind of boring. <laughs> Oh, I love it. But I'm, a, I'm a cardio. Really? I'm a running nerd, dude. I was, yeah, I ran 10 miles this morning. I'm, I'm like, I'm about it. Um, Jeez, damn. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. I am. I'm super happy about it because I've been a little bit out of running shape and I, I'm like, my times are going down. I'm feeling good about it. Um, nice. So. Well, I don't know if we have anything uh, else to really get into. Uh, are you guys going to be at SHOT Show at all? Yeah. I uh, planned on it. At least that's Dude, I'll I'll see you there. We gotta hang, man. Yeah. I I haven't gotten a chance to hang with you since the last time you were in studio. Yeah, we pre pre pandemic. Yeah, well, uh, if if we wind up going, I, I'm gonna try to get out there. So, uh, yeah, I'll let you know. Hell yeah, I, I'm looking forward to having an In and Out Burger while I'm there because we don't have that here in New York. You don't in Texas either, right? Uh, we it's few and far between, but there's one in San Antonio, at least one that I've seen. I'm still kind of like learning the area, but uh, I've seen at least one here. Okay. Yeah. No, we, we have like certain things here that are cool. I think you just get excited for these little things that you can only do in, (laughs) you know, in certain States that because you're like, Oh, we don't have this here. So I don't know. You get excited. (laughs) But, uh, with that, uh, the first Marauder available now on Amazon, uh, of course, and you do have the silly uh, Twitter Instagram handle anywhere that you can buy books online, actually you can get it. So yes. Yeah. I was saying you have you have the you know stupidest Instagram That's and Twitter it. handle, but it's oh yeah, yeah. at uh, <laughs> at Lay Ginger uh, uh, at Ginger A B L E S on Instagram, and then same thing on Twitter, but with a underscore in between at Lay 
underscore ginger uh, as your career builds are you do you think you're ever going to transition to it just being you know luke ryan something i've thought about <laughs> it but i love it i mean i'm a ginger and i'm a book nerd and les miserables is one of my favorite books so it makes sense les ginger Rob. It, it's sort of like because the only other person i know who has that is um like Rob O'Neill is still Mick Huyen, yeah. <laughs> but people people know it now. But it's you know, it, if you're a public figure, I do think it helps to have like your real name. It's but people will find you. Probably, but you're, it also doesn't help that there's a 10 million Luke Ryan's. Yeah. Oh yeah. And also Luke Bryan also throws it off too. So yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, yeah. It's I'm I'm stubborn like that. I, I feel like I feel like I'll keep it for. A while. We'll see. <laughs> I'm I'm into yeah. it. I'm into it for now anyway. I, I like it. It it is funny. I just think <laughs> of from like a public um pr- public figure perspective, if it was like at Luke Ryan BRCC or something, you'd probably have more followers. Boring. <laughs> You're yeah, right. You yeah. are right. You are right. <laughs> it's true. Um yeah, well with that, check out our sponsors as always, guys. Support them there who keeps us going. That's why, you know, we're not on any service where you have to pay to listen. It's completely free. So don't bitch about that. I have to do live reads during this. Just <laughs> support our sponsors. That's that's what keeps us doing this. Um leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and uh sign up for the final Battle Line Tactical course with Chris Ferranto of the year. Uh the link to that is in the description. It's in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, November 20th and November 21st. So basically when you're hearing this on Monday, yeah, it's going to be that Saturday and Sunday. So this is like last minute for you guys to sign up. Um, and with that, is there anything else uh, to mention? This has been great, man. I just, I don't get the chance to shoot the shit with you. I just yeah. see you on Twitter and, you know, we'll <laughs> comment on something, but I don't really get a chance to talk with you like that. Yeah, no, I, I know nothing really. I appreciate you having me on and for everybody listening. And I appreciate y'all tuning in for a bit. Hell yeah. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battle Line Podcast and on Twitter at Battle Line Pod. To sign up for future Battle Line tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never. quit.